Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 10. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. It is the angel of the Lord speaking these words. Who is this angel of the Lord? It is none other than the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. So here we have an example of the Lord Jesus Christ active in the world prior to his incarnation. It is Christ speaking these words. And he is actually foretelling his own coming into the world. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. The daughter of Zion refers to God's true people in any age. In other words, Christ's true church. In the immediate historical context of this passage, it especially means the Jews recently returned from captivity in Babylon who are trusting in the Lord. They are able to sing and rejoice because the Lord's angel has promised to come and dwell in the midst of Zion. So here in this verse we have one who is speaking who is fully divine because note at the end of the verse it says saith the Lord <clears throat> and yet also one who is not God the Father and this fully divine one who is not the Father but who is the Father's angel and messenger he is going to bless the people with his presence and this glorious promise will be fulfilled in three ways. Firstly, the angel of the Lord will dwell in the midst of Zion as the physical temple is completed by the returning captives who are rebuilding it. And so as the true worship of God is recommenced in Zechariah's day, in the completed temple, so will the angel of the Lord come and dwell in the midst of the people in that temple. He will meet with the people there as they worship him according to the law of Moses, as they always should have been doing. Secondly, the angel of the Lord will dwell in the midst of Zion as he becomes a man <clears throat> in human history and ministers in flesh as a human being to the people of Jerusalem. And he will actually enter in person 
into the same temple which was rebuilt in Zechariah's day. So the Son of God will actually set foot in that temple which they were rebuilding when Zechariah gave forth these words. So this verse 10 is supremely a promise of the coming of our Lord in the flesh. Israel, therefore, should have been singing and rejoicing when Christ was born in Bethlehem. The angels were, some Gentile wise men from the east were, and some shepherds were, but not the mass of the nation. But the scriptures of Old Testament Israel declare that the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, is coming to dwell in the midst of them. And this was gloriously fulfilled when our Lord appeared upon earth as a man. But there is a third wonderful fulfilment of these words in verse 10. The angel of the Lord will dwell in the midst of Zion as after his ascension he dwells by his Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who believe in him. And this verse is supremely looking beyond Zechariah's immediate contemporary situation to the time when Christ comes, when he exercises his public ministry, and then as he is put to death and he rises again, he sends his spirit upon his church. And so, as we have these words uttered here, we look forward to the time that we are now in. The time when Christ has indeed come. And this future reference to the coming of Christ in verse 10 is proven by the next verse, verse 11. Because this speaks of many nations becoming God's own people. Now that only happened when the Lord Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The future reference of this verse 10 is also proven by verse 4 of this chapter. Which speaks of Jerusalem expanding into the size of many separate cities spread across the countryside. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So there is going to be a glorious expansion of Jerusalem. So our thoughts are being moved to consider something beyond the mere rebuilding of the physical temple and the physical city. The spirit of prophecy 
is causing us to raise our horizons beyond a mere single geographical location. And so we read in this 11th verse, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. The phrase, in that day, refers supremely to the coming of our Lord into this world as a man. He will cause the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile to be broken down. And many Gentiles who repent and believe in him will be brought into God's true kingdom. After the captivity in Babylon, the number of Gentiles coming to faith in Israel's God steadily increased. And this in itself was a prophetic foretaste of what would happen on a far greater scale when the Lord Jesus Christ would appear in the flesh. We accordingly have in the New Testament the word proselytes. This word means Gentile converts to the one true God of Israel. And their presence in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost is large enough for it to be specifically noted in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we read in Acts 2 and verse 7, And they were all amazed and marvelled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? On this day of Pentecost, the apostles were speaking in different languages. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And so there in Acts 2, we have a direct fulfilment of the words of Zechariah 2 and verse 11. It is at this first Christian Pentecost that the post-captivity phenomenon of Gentile conversion begins to take on a, a magnified and much more dramatic character. With our Lord having publicly ministered in Israel and then having died and risen again, far greater numbers of Gentiles would now be entering into the kingdom of God as the gospel is preached. The rebuilding of the temple in Zechariah's day would be the beginning of that process of Gentile conversion. And it would start to reach its climax when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth as a man. Accordingly, 
shortly after he was born, when he was brought as a baby in arms into the temple, the godly Simeon declared in Luke 2 and verse 29, Lord, lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So there, Simeon speaks of a salvation before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. The coming of Christ into the world has significance then for all people, as well as for Israel. For all have sinned and need salvation. The Lord promises here in verse 11, I will dwell in the midst of thee. Let us note again that the one who dwells in the midst of his people is distinguished from God the Father. He is one whom the Lord of hosts sends. Because we read in verse 11 here, Thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. So the one who is speaking, who is going to dwell in the midst of the people, is separate from the Lord of hosts, the Father. But he is also fully divine because he is going to dwell in the midst of the people. And he is going to bless them. They are referred to as his people. And and so uh, we have indirectly a a statement of the deity of Christ here in verse 11. He is the eternal God manifest in the flesh. I will dwell in the midst of thee. Now these words were partially fulfilled as the Lord came to the returned captives in Zechariah's day and aided them in the rebuilding of the temple and in generally protecting them. But these words are supremely fulfilled in the coming of Christ into this world as a man. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. It is Christ who comes to dwell with man. And even after his death, he continues to come and dwell with man by his Spirit. In his incarnation, he came and dwelt amongst his people in human form. But now he comes to dwell with us by his Spirit. The Lord Lord Jesus Christ is the true temple. 
Indeed, in John 2 and verse 19, our Lord refers to his own body as the temple. For just as the physical building was a representation of God's presence, so Christ's appearing on earth is literally God's presence with his people. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfilment of what the temple represented. I will dwell in the midst of thee. Our Lord's birth was foretold to Joseph in the following way. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. Here, the coming of Christ is foretold. And he declares at the end of verse 11, And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. The daughter of Zion, the Jews who believe, will be convinced that God the Father is speaking to them through his Son. One who is distinct from the Father, but sharing all his divine attributes. They will know that he is the one whom the Father has sent to be their deliverer. And their knowledge will be reinforced by his many mighty miracles. And then we read in verse 12 here. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. Judah here is described as the Lord's portion or inheritance, meaning his special possession. Which brings us back to verse 8, and to the fact that the return captures are described as the apple of God's eye. And this is a, a description of all true believers today. God's special possession. And Zechariah is alluding here, using this language, to the unique status of Israel as given us in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. The Lord protected Old Testament Israel as his dear and special possession. And now in Zechariah's day, as the captives return from Babylon, Jerusalem will again take on that status. But it will no longer be a mere geographical city, but a completely different type of city. As verse 4 of this chapter explains, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, 
for the multitude of men and cattle therein. It will become a city so large as to be like many towns spread across the open country. In other words, a new Jerusalem is arising, of which the single physical city of inevitably restricted size will be just a symbol. It will be a Jerusalem without walls, infinitely larger than the old Jerusalem, because it will be a spiritual Jerusalem where Christ dwells in the midst. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world is the climax of the process which begins in Zechariah's day. The establishment of a new and a better Jerusalem. So as we read this verse 12, the terms Judah, Holy Land and Jerusalem can only be taken literally in a minor and initial sense. God will be with the returned captives in Zechariah's day as they endeavour to rebuild the physical Jerusalem and resettle in the promised land. That is an important and vital beginning. But God will never fully restore Judah and Jerusalem in terms of the physical, economic and political glory which they possessed in the days of Solomon. This, in any case, would still be a second-rate glory because a greater than Solomon has now come into the world. Something far more glorious than the earthly victories and earthly glory of David and Solomon's time is coming to Israel. God is coming to dwell with his own people. And these people will be drawn out of every nation. So the expressions here in verse 12, Judah, Holy Land and Jerusalem, refer supremely not to a single nation, but to the dwelling place of God, which is the true church. The literal Holy Land cannot possibly be in view, because the reference is to a land where many nations shall be joined to the Lord. Nations acknowledging Christ as dwelling in their midst. We today, as New Testament Christians, are part of those many nations dwelling with Christ in the Holy Land, which is the spiritual kingdom of God. We must always remember then that there are two Jerusalems in the Bible. And we must not get them confused. And this is very important for even understanding a lot of what is going on in the world right now. Paul, <coughs> Paul makes the distinction between the two Jerusalems in Galatians chapter 4. He refers to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children, and Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all. 
Galatians 4.26 The Jerusalem which now is, is the old physical city. And then there is also the Jerusalem above, which is Christ's true church, the kingdom of heaven. As the returned captives rebuild Jerusalem in Zechariah's day, the ultimate goal is not the establishment of an earthly city, but a heavenly city where Christ the King reigns in the midst. This verse 12 of Zechariah 2 is the only place in the Bible <coughs> where we have the term the Holy Land. And it refers to the dwelling place of God. The Holy Land is the dwelling place of God. Now, no one physical land or place is in and of itself holy. Soil is just soil. Rocks are just rocks. And buildings are just buildings. Wherever one is in the world. It is God dwelling in the midst which makes a land or a people holy. And so we are thinking here of God's true Israel, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, we are told, The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Yes, the angel of the Lord will one day appear in the physical temple. But that temple is not the ultimate glory. The true and glorious temple is in fact the Lord's own body, his church, where he dwells in the midst. This is what is being foretold here in these verses, the coming of Christ to dwell with his people. And his people will be made up of men out of every nation. So we read in verse 13, Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. And so note again the reference to all flesh. All nations must silently bow down in awe and wonder at God's action of sending his Son into the world. The child lying in the manger at Bethlehem is the one who has governed the nations throughout history. He is the one who even foretold his own coming. For example, here in Zechariah chapter 2. He comes in power to his own people. He comes to save sinners and he comes to establish a new Jerusalem. He comes in power. And those who are not his people should therefore tremble. 
So he declares in verse 10 here, I will dwell in the midst of thee. And again in verse 11, I will dwell in the midst of thee. In Revelation 21, John has a vision of the new Jerusalem. Verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And so, the fulfilment of these words here in Zechariah 2 is the coming of Christ and the setting up of his church, the new Jerusalem. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so we rejoice this day that God has come to dwell with his people in the new Jerusalem. Amen.